Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mission Investing at the intersection of national security and technology. My name is Steve Bauscher, and I'm your host of this new podcast that we're very excited to bring to you. I'm the president of Incutel, and what we want to do in, in, in these podcasts is talk to a series of uh, people in, involved in the juncture of national security and new innovative technology that's being developed. And I, I can't think of a more important topic for us to be focused on as a country and as a nation. And we're really excited to launch our first version of this podcast today with TJ Rylander, general partner from Next47. TJ is one of the most experienced and uh, influential investors in, in this area. And we're really excited to have him uh, meet us here at the intersection today. So TJ, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Steve. It's great to talk with you. Right. So before we get started here, maybe just tell everyone a little bit about your background and, 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 and how you got to where you are today. Sure, happy to. I uh, actually, first job out of college was with Enron, if you or anybody listening remembers that. I was uh, during proud the good have your, on your resume, right? <laughs> <laughs> it was always good conversation fodder. Uh, certainly a lot of, a lot of core uh, and stark learnings from that experience. Uh, after Enron, I came to California and went to business school, uh, then spent a few years in consulting. Uh, and it was really that time in consulting that piqued my interest in working with small small companies and tech-driven startups. Uh, I also had a long-standing desire to uh, contribute back into the U.S. intelligence community, and that led me to uh, to Incutel. And and I was incredibly fortunate uh, to to land a role on the investment team there, uh, and spent ten great years working with you and the team uh, before uh, leaving to. Join Next47 as its second uh, U.S.-based GP at a time when we were working to build a foundation for a, a global investment firm uh, and and uh, working to deploy really our first capital into some some great companies. Great. And uh, obviously, TJ and I have known each other for a long time. And when I thought of launching this podcast, I thought of no better person to have on here because both you... You have the background of having worked at Incutel and invested on behalf of all the different government agencies that we work with. But now also you've been spent the last several years working on behalf of Siemens, the strategic partner, I believe, of Next47. Uh, when I think of the technologies that uh, are, are really going to be important for us as a nation uh, moving forward here, autonomy, uh, batteries, uh, AI, microelectronics, uh, uh, you bring a unique perspective there that I think will be really informative to the audience here as we, we get into this today. So thanks a lot. Thanks, Steve. Okay, great. So um, tell me why you want to become an investor uh, uh, in the first place. And uh, if you were an investor, why uh, Incutel to start your career? Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting question. I think you know, we know so many different people with, with a varied pathways into venture capital. I actually did not want to be an investor and was uh, convinced that I would, if I was lucky enough to land the role at Incutel, I'd spend a few years there and learn about uh, early stage startups and make a contribution into the IC, the intelligence community, and then uh, join a startup in an operational role. And you know, clearly that two or three years turned into 10. So uh, things resonated in ways I didn't expect. As is so often the case, you know, a lot has to do with the people. So the chance to work with some great companies along the way, ones that took a long time as most companies do to get to IPO or exit. Uh, but I think even more importantly, the chance to work with uh, great people on the team at Incutel and the IC. Uh, it, it was uh, just a really uh, fulfilling uh, journey for those 10 years. Uh, the aspects of 
of investments that and in, in the investing role that I really love is just the chance to to be a small part of these fantastic stories around these these um, you know world changing entrepreneurs that, that really drive a ton of impact. And we saw, and I know you continue to see a ton of them at, at Inkytel. There's the same types of of companies we look to invest in uh, here at Next Forty Seven. And, and so one of the myths that I, I want to sort of uh, disabuse our audience of uh, here today is uh, the myth that Silicon Valley or, you know, venture-backed startup companies don't really want to work with the government. And, and that certainly hasn't been my experience here the last uh, uh, 15 years that I've been at Ankytel. But, you know, talk a little bit about sort of the reaction uh, uh, that you got from companies when, when you went out to talk to them during your 10 years at Ankytel. You know, I, I think it ranged from the practical interests to uh, desire to make a contribution in a good way. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the practical is this can be a potentially lucrative market and it, it can be a set of customers that challenge your products in ways that many commercial customers don't. And so you can accelerate product development. You can build real competitive differentiation uh, you know, through working the, these challenging customers, customers that would take scalability or performance to the levels that most commercial customers don't. Uh, you know, the other aspect are a lot of people that, that do understand that, uh, you know, global security and security of the U.S. is is critical and that emerging technologies have a key role to play there. And, and so it was rare. Uh, it was very rare to see anybody that just wanted to stay away from it entirely. You know, I think over over time there was an evolution where more and more uh, entrepreneurs are sophisticated in their understanding of how to work with different go- government customers, and that's everything from uh, you know building for the long term, not expecting immediate hits in terms of rapid revenue scaling, uh, knowing that it should be a, an important piece of a of a business strategy, not the entirety or the majority of it. Things along those lines. No, I think those are great points. And, and the only one I add to that, uh, uh, I think sometimes is that, you know, Silicon Valley and a lot of these startup companies, they're, they're, they're dominated by the engineering culture, right? And engineers get uh, uh, excited about working on really hard technical problems. And I think government represents some really hard uh, uh, technical problems. And, you know, uh, as I think of uh, uh, some of my recent actions, you know, with uh, companies that are trying to build hypersonic jets or, you know, satellite launching uh, uh, companies, right? You know. Those are great, neat, you know, uh, problems to try and go solve as an engineer that people get excited about. And if you want to work on those problems, you really need to be working with the government customer, you know, to, to really uh, pursue those uh, opportunities to the fullest. You know, and, and what was it? Was the Peter Thiel line? You know, you know, we were pl- promised flying cars and we got a, you know, uh, a bunch of tweets in, in, in instead. So uh, I think we represent some really interesting problems that uh, I think entrepreneurs are really excited to go try and uh, attack. I, to- I totally agree. And I, I think that the the good news is that uh, you know those engineering led cultures are just naturally attracted to you know to those challenges, and so there ends up being a good intersection. Yeah, stemming from, all the way from enterprise IT down into hard tech, uh, more challenging devices, and hardware based innovation. Great. So, uh, so you got a really interesting perspective in that you can you spent ten years at Inkytel, and then you spent uh, you know a number of years now at, at Next Forty Seven. What's the difference? You know, let's talk about some of the differences. You know, how, how do you evaluate opportunities? You know, uh, uh, today for investment versus when you were at Inkytel. Uh, uh, how do you think about those things differently? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, it really opposite ends of the spectrum. And I'm a huge believer, as you know, in the Inkytel model and and the impact that it drives. And I think it is incredibly well formed for its uh, 
its uh, core goals of introducing important new technologies to, you know, to, to key customers in the government and worldwide, not just the U.S. government. And, and so uh, you know, Next 47 is opposite of the spectrum in that we have uh, a, this strategic relationship with Siemens, as you described. We uh, deploy capital in the same way, in the same magnitude as a, uh, any financial investor. Uh, so we look to lead rounds, we write significant uh, investment checks into, into companies. So we, we do end up in a competitive stance with other venture investors, but we get to take advantage of the, the strategic impact that the Siemens ecosystem can bring to our portfolio. And we, we do that through a go-to-market team that interacts with Siemens companies and Siemens customers in a really meaningful way to drive well-qualified leads for our portfolio. That's on the order of, of $10 million in, in new revenue that those leads have generated in the last 12 months and, and dozens of new transactions. Uh, so we, we do think that we are, are changing the venture model a bit with this combination of, of significant capital and strategic value add, but it's not uh, optimized for uh, the access uh, in the near-term introduction of technologies that, that Inkytel is. So we operate on a faster basis. The, the turns naturally have to be in the mm -hmm. several week territory at some case, in some cases. Uh, and we don't enjoy the broadest level of access that, that uh, Inkytel does. So one of the companies you're involved with is thinking about the trade-offs between, uh, hey, should we pursue this government market or should we pursue this commercial market? How, how, do, you, how do you think about them or how do you help them think about those trade-offs? I often I often believe that there isn't a, you know it's not an either or and the commercial and government markets they need to be developed in parallel and so it's a matter of of not being 100% in any one camp uh, and and, and uh, pursuing uh, government markets with with a you know measured approach so first is go talk to Inkytel get get customer insight understand what those customers need understand the impact that uh, Inkytel can drive. And then when you really see the, the buying signal from government customers, then you invest in a dedicated team in DC and, and uh, you know, a presence on the ground there if you don't already have one. But, but you don't do it uh, too early. You don't, you don't uh, wanna deploy resources thinking that revenue is gonna ramp in the next six months or 12 months because the cycles are just longer. Yeah. So you, you've talked now a couple of times both, you know, uh, with what Next 47 brings to companies and, and what Inkydel brings to companies about the importance of customer signal, customer demand, you know, purchase orders. You haven't used that phrase yet, but uh, I think that's sort of implied here. You know, uh, uh, talk a little bit about how that's the, sort of the lifeblood, if you will, of, of a, a startup company. You know, investor groups like Inkytel or, or Next 47 that can bring uh, 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 a customer to the table for a startup company. You know, that's a unique value proposition in a way that a lot of investors don't, you know, have the same capability offer. Yeah, I think you know, it's uh, so often promised. You know, what do what do um, what do startups care about? At the very earliest stages, it's knowing what to build and having the uh, best chances of delivering a product to market that really is a home run with customers, because uh, they're constrained on engineering capacity, they're constrained on capital, and uh, not having to rework uh, product launch is is just a huge leg up so first connections to customers before you even build a product which you know we we did and i know you do uh day in day out at inkytel and then delivering the hey we're actually gonna we're actually gonna get you revenue uh once this product's ready for you know sale 
that is as important as anything uh, that, uh, you know, for a startup these days. We, I used to think in terms of capital, people, and customers, so revenue. Uh, capital is fairly infinite right now, so that's not really a differentiator. Yeah. Uh, people is, is also, it's great and, and incredibly valuable, whatever we can do to help companies find the right next people to add to the team. Uh, but certainly, you know, nothing trumps revenue and customer engagement as a company's trying to grow. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree with that. So, uh, have you learned anything, you know, in your time after leaving Inkutel that would change the advice that you gave companies when you're at Inkutel about how to build a company, how to pursue a government uh, market, how to think about the government market in, in their evolution? No, it's, I, I think it's it's uh, primarily. Uh, time to take a step back. I've got time to take a step back and, and think about how to codify the sales motion, yeah. which is uh, something we focused less on at Enikitel. It was more about that immediate access and the customer use. Um, but how to intersect with a commercial sales organization uh, and, and, and allow the, the federal effort to grow alongside it. You know, I think it just takes multiple um, avenues of approach and it takes a staying power. Uh, one of the things I've realized is the importance of messaging to your board, if you're a CEO, uh, that, hey, this is a, this is a longer term uh, effort. We're going to spend a lot of time on this. Don't expect it to hit immediately. Let's all acknowledge that, that uh, we're going to be patient here. Now that you're you know, outside the APTEL uh, family, um, you probably hear some things that, uh, in the community that we, we don't hear. What do you think the, the perception is of the government market by the U.S. venture capital community? Uh, it's, you know, over the last 20 years, I think people have gotten more sophisticated and that's a good thing. And, yeah. and people understand, uh, investors and entrepreneurs understand that uh, government markets are, uh, are worthwhile and good to engage with and, uh, you know, are, uh, are important uh, targets for for any business uh, that has any sort of overlap with those government users. You know, and, I, and I do believe most are optimizing for a material part of a business as opposed to the majority of a business uh, you know, to, to be focused on, the, on government. The, the one challenge is that there's also the evolution of, of uh, commercial buyers. And so the relative challenges between delivery to government and delivery to some commercial customers is is not uh, static. Yeah. So as a as a team is contemplating, well, if if I'm configuring my business, my my uh, software offering uh, to be hosted self serve, and you know SaaS, uh, you know that's about as easy as it gets. Maybe I don't even need a go to market team, right? Which is never the case, but you know it's, it gets to be this alluring like things just take off. Yeah. Uh, in hyper low friction, and a team that is going down that road. You know, it hasn't yet learned that go-to-market is going to be more complex. You're going to have to invest more in it, and therefore, you know, the the less connected, uh, you know, higher friction of selling to big enterprises and big government is is uh, within reach, and they should invest in it. Okay. So that that trend is is a little counter to, uh, you know, the understanding that the government's attractive market. Yeah, that's great. So. Um, you know, as someone who uh, spends his time sort of maybe looking a little bit beyond the horizon to what's coming next in terms of technologies and, and, and where the world, world is going, um, you know, I think if I think of the list today of technologies that the U.S. government should be 
paying attention to and encouraging uh, 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 both investment in it and leveraging that investment in the form of purchasing. It's things like AI, cyber, it's autonomy, it's microelectronics, it's uh, internet of things, batteries, uh, you know, a number of things, areas I think you personally, you know, invested. Are there a couple in particular that you want to highlight that you think, you know, hey, you know, uh, we should really focus on then? Are there any that I missed, you know, you know, you know, there's stuff out there in the future maybe that we haven't talked as much about yet, but, uh, or there hasn't been as much conversation about, but things like hypersonics or quantum, you know, you know, I'm not sure if they're real or not yet, but, you know, they're, 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 uh, uh, they're going to be real soon, you know, and we have investments in those areas. So, uh, you know, any of those in particular catch your eyes, sort of, hey, you know, uh, 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 we should absolutely be focused on those. Yeah, and, and and primarily because of the the, you know, the very near term uh, commercial impact. So worldwide, we're just going to see this proliferation of autonomous systems. Uh, we're already seeing it. We're seeing it to great commercial effect. And I think if we rewind the clock five years, we would I would think it would be uh, a conversation primarily about autonomous vehicles and self driving cars everywhere. And what we've seen is is naturally with the complexity of autonomous vehicles, you know, having to operate in a mixed environment at 70 miles an hour, that's just not imminent. Uh, but some of the great technologies that were developed for that, that application, so these are sensors and software and processors, are already applied to autonomous systems uh, that operate on their own, where you can ensure there aren't as many humans, or you can ensure they operate at only a couple miles an hour. Uh, and and uh, can drive just massive efficacy. So uh, things that, that we've invested in include uh, autonomous excavators uh, through built robotics, floor cleaning through Avid bots, uh, Skydio, which is a, a autonomous drone uh, startup here in Silicon Valley. You know the ability to build a system that can operate on its own is is proven over and over again, and it's just at a, at a uh, an environment that is is simpler and and easier to take value from than cars today. So that's exciting. You know, the other one is is applications of AI and applications in many cases in ways that people don't even realize uh, is going on. Uh, so it's just great software, and it's great software that that uses deep learning or machine learning uh, to improve the outcomes of the software. Yeah, that's going to be everywhere. We're already seeing it. Uh, we're already seeing it drive to commercial success. Scotty is actually a great uh, case study of what we're talking about here, right? You know, uh, DJI and a lot of other Chinese companies have really emerged uh, very quickly as the leaders in uh, small form factor drones. And in fact, the U.S. government, I think, even started buying a few DJI <laughs> built drones before they started realizing, hey, maybe that's not a great idea, right? And then there was a period of time where they were very actively looking for. Uh, U.S. Uh, uh, alternatives to DJI, and it was hard to find at first. Skydio really has emerged as, as, as sort of a, a great uh, uh, U.S. company building a great product in, in, in this area. Talk a little bit more about that and how government's been an important customer for Skydio. Sure. Yeah, Skydio uh, is, is incredibly competitive on a heads-up basis with any drone in the world because of that autonomy stack. Mm -hmm. And because of their incredible technology that they've honed over uh, many years, they built this, this uh, unified system that understands its environment on the fly and has better collision avoidance and, and ability to fly without an expert pilot than any drone in the world. And the key is, in our estimation, is the market evolution 
from one-off purchases of consumer drones for commercial enterprise government use. And so those were the, the DJI Jones drones for many years. And DJI certainly uh, was successful in capturing vast majority of the market. But those were rarely, uh, rarely got into the programmatic top-down buying behavior from big companies that implies ongoing value and ongoing um, spend, which supports a, a lot of uh, future business, obviously. Recently, like two years ago, we started to see a lot of companies transition from that one-off buying to the top-down uh, motion I just described. And, and that is uh, you know, really the, the best illustration of the opening for uh, for new companies to enter, really for Skydio to enter based on its fantastic autonomous capabilities, because you can have many more people uh, use Skydio's drones to do harder missions, to perform harder missions like inspection work and understanding uh, the environment without having them be expert pilots. And in fact, the Skydio drone can, in many cases, do things that, that uh, drones piloted by the world's best pilots can't do. So I want to wrap up here. Uh, uh, this has been a great conversation, and I think our audience will really enjoy it. Last takeaway, you know, the general uh, problem that we're trying to solve here is uh, uh, to bring the best and brightest uh, technology from the United States and other uh, friendly countries to uh, the national security uh, apparatus, if you will, of, of, of the U.S. government. Uh, got any last thoughts or pearls of wisdom or, or pieces of advice that you want to uh, share with us in terms of what uh, we should be thinking about as a country or what we should be doing to try and achieve that? You know, I, I think that there's just so much uh, opportunity for the application of new technologies. And I think we all have to recognize that there's also potential downside. Mm -hmm. So thinking ahead of time, and I know people spend time on this, but, but um, getting hands on, uh, aggressively adopting so that everybody can understand the, both the pros and the cons. I always often, well, I often think about the inscription in the CIA headquarters around uh know the truth and it'll set you free. And I think that technology is at the heart of that. Uh, and, and there's an opportunity today in ways that there's never been in the history of the world to, to know what is true and to, and to know it uh, and act on it in ways that are great for the world. Uh, but we can also recognize that there's risk in spread of false information. And we have to uh, also de deploy technology in a way that, that battles that potential spread. Terrific. Well, TJ, great to see you again. Thanks a lot for joining us here at The Intersection. We really enjoyed the conversation today. Thank you, Steve. It's great talking with you. Mm -hmm.